Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is fucking killing me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Happy Tuesday. What's up? I feel like we missed this last week, but it's already November. This is technically the second week of November. I walked into the studio the other day and there was Christmas decorations and I was like, <laughs> what? My Lord. My Lanta. Why? Why? For me, what is like the pinnacle to you of when Christmas should start? I don't think you should put Christmas lights up or start playing Christmas music until December 1st. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. A uh, very close um, friend of ours, Danica, <laughs> said Nova after Remembrance Day. That's when they can start. Oh, okay. That I said you after American, American Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You yeah. know that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both Danica's and yours make sense. I just also, like when I said December 1st, I'm thinking about... When I grew up as a kid, my mom would have screamed if we'd waited till it snowed to put up the Christmas lights. So you do it before it snows, which yeah. is like really early. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> you put them up in November. Yeah. Like, yeah. as soon as you take down the Halloween ones, because you're lucky if you, even in Northern Alberta, if you don't have snow by Halloween. <laughs> I was going to say. So there's that. Yeah. But this whole like November 1st stuff is like too much for me. No, I agree. I think November 1st is too much as well. Um... I think it was like more of a transfer of decorations that was happening. It wasn't like there was decorations <laughs> up. Okay. But <laughs> I was still like, woo. Yeah. Um, I also just feel like there is such like big emphasis around the holidays. And sometimes the holidays can be really tough for people. So like reminding people two months in advance that this like holiday is coming. Totally. It's like, also like, maybe it's like a magic of Christmas, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you could see that in a different way. There, you could be people that would see like hopefulness in Christmas. Totally. Yeah. I'm just thinking. Wow, it's almost 2022. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow, yeah. this whole entire year has flown by, and I don't know what if anything's happened. No one knows what's going on. We're all just hoping for the best here. I think praying one waterway going around in circles, circles. half drowning, half swallowing drowning, water. Swallowing water. <laughs> Uh, and then I also I'm like oh after Christmas and it's less than two months until your birthday grin and then you're thir- you're actually okay, 30 you're being so dramatic <laughs> like you just were in November and you skipped six months ahead like it's that's no it's not December January February okay but you skipped a, there's a lot of experiences between now and then that you're missing like you can I have know. a life-changing moment between now and then and just <laughs> need to calm down. I don't That's know. going to everybody out there who's listening this morning. Don't let that anxiety that Corinne just put out there get on you. It's a no bones day. I need to go back to bed. You're, everything's fine. Take a deep breath. It's all going to be okay. I don't. Yeah, I just thought about that for the first time the other day. I was like, wow, Corinne, you're going to be almost 30, which I don't have a problem with. I'm excited to be 30 because I can stop lying to people. Because I've been telling people I'm 30 for like six months now. Oh, okay. <laughs> when people ask me at work, I'm just like... It's, I don't know why 29 sounds annoying. I'm just like 30 because it sounds like, like a round number. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Girl. That's also weird. I don't know. It's all weird. <laughs> um, but I was just like thinking, it was like, what are we, what am I going to do for my 30th birthday? I don't know, but it's November, so I'm not having this discussion with you. This week but we have want to go to Vegas. <laughs> we want to go to Vegas. We have to think about it now. <laughs> Everyone just, let's, Corinne needs to calm the fuck down, okay? Um, everyone, who do we have this week? <laughs> we have... The lovely burlesque dancer, performer, and scholar, Forsa. Yeah. Yeah. Take a listen. Let's get into it. Hi, my name is Julia Matias, or uh, um, I also operate under the stage name Forsa, and I'm a burlesque entertainer, um, academic, and performance creator. 
I kind of want to jump right into it because you talked about grief in your email a little bit. (laughs) Can we go there? Yeah, we can go there. Okay. I want to know that how did you deal with the grief that comes along with like pandemic isolation, Mm -hmm. the grief of losing your mother, and then like contemplating this like career altering, altering time. Yeah. Let's go in. Yeah. Um, So, okay. The questions were. How did you deal with all these different forms of grief? The pandemic comparatively felt easier. Yeah. Because, so it was a lot of things. I, I, maybe some context would help with this. So prior to uh, my mom being diagnosed, um, I was in the busiest like year of my professional life. So I was, that summer, I had been to, where did I go? I had performed in Denver. I had performed in Berlin. I had performed in Vegas. I had performed in, I think, a couple other places. And that was after a year of also touring, like, prior. So I would go and do, like, different burlesque festivals or competitions, different places. Um, I was performing very frequently in Toronto, too. So, like, or in Toronto, like, like, I don't know, every... For a while, it was, like, at least a gig a week. Mm -hmm. I would sort of taper that off. And I was writing a dissertation. And I was, uh, uh, parts of that, doing coursework, or, like, I planned an international conference I had done like so I was like I was constantly like churning out work and material and like um you know adapting from like time zones and travel and like there was yeah that summer I had I would come back and I would have like maybe a week max in Toronto before I would leave somewhere else again Mm -hmm. so it was like barely enough time to like wash your clothes repack and then go um and was you know like uh, like and, w- and it's like a nightlife lifestyle too right so like out super super late often there's like alcohol if I'm, if I'm not consuming it I'm around it and it like affects the the whole experience of that yeah so I was coming off of this like insanely um you know hustle oriented year which I thought I wanted at the time because it was like the marker of like success in that field right was to totally. be doing a lot of shows to be producing constantly to be uploading like a lot of content um, to be sort of publicly recognized by these things that were considered, I think prestige in something like burlesque is kind of, is so weird, <laughs> but, um, but were considered prestigious. Like, the, like I had competed at the burlesque hall of fame that year, which is kind of like our big, like our, our people like compared to like our Super Bowl or something like it was like a very, and like, it's a really important sort of flagship event for also the history of the contemporary burlesque movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like a big honor. Like I was doing like really, you know, Work that I, when I started in burlesque and I had like big stars in my eyes, I was like, these are the thing, these are the touchstones I want right. to reach, right? Like these are the things those I want to do. Those were the markers of success. Yes. And, these were, and they were the ones that were, you know, sort of um, upheld by everybody. Right. In different, I mean, different capacities, obviously, everyone has their own experience with that, much like in theater or dance or any other performance genre. Um, but so I was doing it, but also was like deeply burnt out. Um... And in other ways, super unhappy because you're, you you feel like yourself having to like pump yourself up to meet those demands mm-hmm. and then other things slack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when my mom got sick, it was very, so my mom um, was diagnosed with late stage pancreatic cancer in August of that year. It was August, I believe, or late July, maybe late July. Um, we had just come back from a family vacation um, when I was away performing at the Burlesque Hall of Fame, I called her and 
uh, her and my father and was told that she had, you know, they went to the ER the night before because like she was having a lot of pain in her side, but they didn't, you know, they were told it was just like a, it was maybe a bladder problem, like a bladder infection, whatever, should be fine. She got an antibiotics. It wasn't that. They then thought it was maybe her, like, gallstones related. She had her uh, gallbladder removed. It wasn't that. <laughs> it ended up being pancreatic cancer, which is, like, an incredibly painful form of cancer to move through mm-hmm. because of where it's located. And where it was on her, um, it was also impossible to operate because it was kind of a place where a lot of sort of organs meet, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a really bad job of explaining this, but... Um, so it was, like, all of a sudden, like everything kind of like had to drop off. Like I was, at that time I already had some contracts for like some traveling gigs around Ontario, um, was planning some interna- more international touring and competing. And, uh, and also as an academic, I, I'm also writing a, a doctorate. So I was um, planning like conferences that I was going to go to and stuff like that. Like all of this kind of like travel movement activity output that was expected of me and that I was doing that I suddenly had to like completely just like stop. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, like someone in my life needed me mm-hmm. uh, and be present for it and be present for something that was like, that was like incredibly difficult that right. involved watching a lot of pain and being in an environment with like, I mean, we, yeah, like my family who I love, like I'm very close to my family, but in like a high anxiety environment, you know, that was, like, impossible to kind of escape, but also that you didn't want to. And what was, like, really wild about that was, like, watching myself have to, like, recognize, like, have to reconcile with, like, how deeply kind of, like, I mean, I guess, I don't know if it's, like, a strong, a strong or wrong wording, but sort of brainwashed I was to be, like, addicted to the work I was doing and to the output level I was doing, especially because I had achieved that level. Mm-hmm. Where, like... There was a really, really, like, sort of, like, I don't know, poignant, um, I guess, moment where, poignant be the right word for it, yeah, I suppose so in this case. Um, Like, we, I had a contract uh, out of the city for, like, a really big, I think it was, like, a Halloween show or something. It was, like, the week, maybe the week prior to Halloween or something. It was like a two or three day thing. I think there was two shows, um, you know, really well paid with an act that I was very confident in. Um, and it was one of the first times I had gotten like the whole spiel where it was like someone was going to cover my travel accommodations, mm-hmm. like all of that kind of like thing. Um, and my mom, yeah, like two days prior was like rushed to the ER uh, because she had like, I think at that time, yeah, it was when she had a stroke related to the chemotherapy she was on. So it was really scary, too, because we didn't know what was happening. And I went with her, you know, to the emergency room as they were figuring all this out. And, like, I had to, like, literally, like, like, it's it's messed up to think about sort of in retrospect. But, like, I had to literally grapple with the fact that there was part of me that didn't know how to, like, let that contract go or like, or know when to call it. Like, when's the time that I pull out? Right. And I don't, and I, and I accept that I'm not doing this anymore. And it doesn't matter that I've signed a document. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing that is like allowable. Yeah. Right. And, you know, whatever happens to my career, like, a, who would do anything about that? They'd be like a monster. But also, yeah. like, yes. 
you know, like I had to really like grapple with the fact it's like I have to say no to something and prioritize like my family and people I love. And that shouldn't have been a question for me. Like in retrospect, it's wild like for me to, you know, that I thought about that. But, but it's I, also yeah. not a question or something you come up against often or mm-hmm. are supported in doing as an artist, I find. Yep. Like when you say no to a contract either of you like committed to, there's like talk around it. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, why didn't, why couldn't they follow through with their obligations? Why couldn't they do this? Why couldn't they do that? And I think there's this like, A, this like brainwashing in the community, in the arts performance community mm-hmm. that's like, doesn't allow you the opportunity to say no when you need to. Mm-hmm. And ju- there's like judgment around it if your reasons aren't like impeccable. Right. And, and impeccable meaning like the worst possible case scenario. Yeah. And I, I think actually this 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 definitely was a case that would have qualified for that. Yes, right. Totally. And it did. Like totally. I emailed them and they were like, of course, like it wasn't an issue. Like it was sorted yeah. out immediately. Yeah. But it's like, it's like, yeah, like it was also about me and my mentality and like allowing, like it was grappling with, I think in retrospect, years and years and years of artistic conditioning and brainwashing from like having come from a theater background prior. Right. And having come from like, yeah, like sort of a theater school environment. I went, I went to York and like, I really liked my program. I was in the device theater program there. A lot of the skills are like super transferable to what I do now. And I'm grateful for the sensibility that they gave me, but it was also like a culture of like, don't you rehearse know. around the clock. Yeah. It's, just, it's theater school, dance school, it's performance school culture. Any of them, yeah. 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 And then immediately after finishing at York or during and then through my first few years out, I was working in the ind- indie theater sort of scene a lot, which was also a culture of like you're you're fundamentally under, like you're underpaid and you know it. Yeah. And you and you accept those conditions. You are often in really strenuous, you're usually doing the job of like four people as one mm-hmm. person. You're, you know, like you're working around the clock. Um, you don't have time meaningfully for like a family or engaged relationships outside of the space in the time that you're in the show. And you're told that you're supposed to, that that's what commitment looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that, that's what it means to really, really like uh, care about your craft or be invested. It's that, that you would give away every material comfort, every sort of emotional comfort um, and any other kind of like life responsibility um, in favor of making these pieces, right? Like in favor of like your artwork and that that's what it meant to be like a good artist. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I had to sort of grapple with the fact that I, I had been doing that for years where right? like I had been like, I mean, like I was, I've always been very close to my family. Like, like, uh, I'm, I'm Portuguese. My stage name is super Portuguese, but like it, family is like a really important cultural value in that space. And like sort of supporting and at least certainly in my family, and so, um, like, I always had that, but there was also a sense of, like, I was always, like, kind of, like, putting other things first or, like, my career first or, or whatever, which yes. they understood. Because mm-hmm. work is also a big value. <laughs> and luckily, I had parents who were, like, pretty progressive, and so they could understand arts work as a part of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think I just hit a point where it was, like, I had to literally, like, move through these uncomfortable feelings of being, like, this isn't. This isn't worth it. And in retrospect, I'm really glad that I stopped. Mm-hmm. Even though there was a part of myself that was fighting against that for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I pulled out and was there as much as I could be under the circumstances. Like to be there with her and to be with them in this like really difficult moment. Mm-hmm. And then when the pandemic hit, and then that was like, at first it was weirdly, so my, my mom had passed just prior to 
the lockdowns, mm. like a few weeks prior, like late January or something. Mm. So I still, you know, I was thankful for that too, because she, we could still like kind of have a prop, a proper, like sort of like funeral service for her and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not that anything that happened during the pandemic is improper, but, but she could have, yeah. Yeah. Um, have, you know, people around her right until the end and then, and then could celebrate her life together. So I was so completely burnt out from like the year I had prior moving from not from like working that much into into like a high stress emotional environment where I had, yeah, yeah where I like I had I had dropped a bunch of weight in a really unhealthy way I was you know like still somehow trying to do school and then feeling regret around not being able to like put out meaningfully and meet my sort of academic uh, milestones um and dealing with like the grief of my entire family and the way that they were functioning as well as my own that I wasn't really like addressing mm-hmm. yeah um and then feeling a pressure, like another thing that was difficult about that whole period that didn't exist for me at the beginning of the pandemic was that, you know, like eventually life happens, I think, as performing artists, this is such a thing for us. Mm-hmm. And you cannot participate mm-hmm. for whatever reason, but you're watching like this, the constant like swirl of everything going on around you and the way that it's it's sort of depicted, especially online, where it's like everybody's happy and killing it and like doing well and like producing and like. And everybody's, everybody else's life is, like, in that same spot, but suddenly you're removed from it. Mm. And you have to kind of just, like, accept that, that, that you just can't. And mm-hmm. that other things will move on, which is good. But, like, it's good for them. Like, people should be able to do that. It's also a lie. Like, everything you see on social media oh, is, totally. like, 100%. Totally. Like, <laughs> I was so unhappy when I was living that way. Like, yeah. Yeah. And we, it's, we all know it's a lie. Like, that's the best. We still have the feelings of, like... But they look like they're doing great. Yeah, because it's designed to make you do that. Like, yeah. it's so yeah. manipulative and coercive. But yeah. um, so anyway, when the pandemic finally hit, I mean, I think a lot of my friends who were performing artists are just busy people. The first two weeks, it was kind of like, it, provided that they didn't, like, that they weren't sick or that no one yeah. knew was sick. They were home. Like, it was almost like a nice, like, break. Mm. Like, there was a part, I was really scared because like, yeah, I'm a person who lives with like various kinds of anxieties. So, you know, like obviously I'm, nobody knew the science of the, of the thing at yeah. the time. Right. So yeah. you're like, uh, can I go out? What can I touch? Like mm-hmm. when, right. like, how does this transmit? I don't understand yeah. it. But there was something about being just like home in my apartment and having no pressure to have to do anything. Yeah. And no one else could do anything either. So there was never going to be this weird, like competitive or like this mentality of having to keep up that I had right. prior. Yeah. Like it was almost like awesome. And then I found even as people started like, I'm going to say it, everybody hates it, like doing the COVID pivot thing, like online, like making online content, like switching their whole yeah. art form to online. Like I was so deeply disinterested in doing that work that I was still okay with not participating. Same. Yes. <laughs> and like that still felt like awesome. Yes. And so like, it was bliss. Yeah. Those, those two weeks, like, I mean, we totally in the moment, I, we were probably very stressed out. But like thinking back on it, those first two weeks were freaking bliss because we didn't know. And there was like blissful unawareness in it. Whereas like the weeks to follow was just like, oh, this is bad. And we don't know when we're going to leave. And this isn't just a temporary thing. And there's actually a lot more we don't know. And it's going to be at least a year before we get a vaccine. That was, like, the scary part. But those right. first two weeks where everyone was, like, making bread and, like, just, like, drinking for two weeks, that was great. Yeah, because the mentality, I think, of a lot of people was that this is, like, literally a two-week thing. We're just going to deal, sort it out for two weeks yeah. and we're all going to come back. Right. Yeah. I remember, I do remember at that time being scared because I was, like, 
thinking to myself, I was like, I, I doubt you can fix it in two weeks. And then I was like, and, but I didn't know that, you know, none of us knew this would play out. Mm. I didn't know if there would ever be like a, like government support or anything like that. Totally. So I was like, yes. they're going to make people go back to work in two weeks. And like, everyone's going to get sick. Like that was kind of my like fear. Yeah, right. And having just, yeah, like, like I, like I said, having just seen someone like go through a really serious terminal illness, mm. like I was like, the, obviously it manifests so differently, but, mm-hmm. um, that sounded literally terrible. So <laughs> that was, a uh, that was really scary, yeah. but yeah, something about it, something about that time or those two years. And also, I mean, maybe getting older, like I'm approaching 30, um, like I just, it just changed mm-hmm. the way I thought about all of it. Like when you really recognize like this thing will not bring you happiness, like what you're supposed to aspire to, you will, the second you get it, you'll want the next thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's going to start to control. Yeah. Your energy levels, your relationships, also the way you create, because you're trying to make the kind of work that you think will be recognized in particular spaces. Like, yeah, I was just like, if this thing is making me more miserable than it's making me like affirmed or love it, like I was literally never making enough money to live off of it. No. Burlesque is so incredibly expensive and so underpaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, why do it? Mm-hmm. Other than it being a huge part of my identity that I now, like I don't know who I am if it's not part of me anymore. Right. right. I was going to ask what conclusion did you come to when you asked yourself, why do it? Um, good question. Like I'm still working it out. <laughs> I just recently went back to performing and, and like, I already am like kind of clocking that I'm like, I'm working a little too much. Like, mm-hmm. because I took, because again, like I took, and then also part of it was like my excitement and coming back yeah. and like, they were really cool shows people were offering me to do. Um, and so I took like most of the gigs that were offered to me right away and I'm working on a new act and stuff like it's like I'm being in a creative space again. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, I was like, after one, two nights of being like completely obliterated because they had two gigs in a week and That's they end up awesome. going late and they end up like, if you have like one hangover, it spills into your professional life. And like, yep. you yeah. just start seeing yourself, watching yourself drop plates. I was like, I'm going to pull back a little bit. Like, and maybe just do like a little bit less and make really tactical decisions about like, what's the work I actually want to do mm-hmm. or what's worth it. Like in terms of like financially, what's worth it? Like what is not going to cost me a ton or will make me enough that it's worth like the little bit of effort. Mm-hmm. What are projects that I think are interesting? Like it's very easy. I think for any performing artist, especially someone who works in a kind of like, yeah, a gig structure where it's like pick up whatever you can, when you can, mm-hmm. it's very easy to like get into habits of what you take because it's right there. Um, and I was kind of like unsatisfied with that. And it was making me less creative in a way that I was starting to regret because I didn't have time to think. Yeah. Um, or not like to actively not think long enough that creative thoughts would come. Mm-hmm. So right now, I think the plan is to just like do a little bit less and make a lot more time for like my non-work relationships mm-hmm. here like see the sort of the friends in my life that I care about, see my family, you know. And not just see your friends like at your gig for no, like, like one like, drink and like actually spend time with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like go, you know. Or see friends that don't come out to those kind of things or see friends that aren't involved in the industry. Yeah. That, yes. Exactly. That don't, they don't have to come out. Like to yes. just like sit around and, and like do nothing together. It's mm-hmm. kind of great. Right. Like, 
And it changes your perception. It's also really grounding because I think burlesque is such a specific community around it that like it's really good to to have other kinds of creative energy or just people around you. Like it, it's really centering mm-hmm. um, and creatively productive anyway. So mm-hmm. th- that's kind of been where I've been at since it since it came back. And it's it's oak, yeah. But it's hard. It's still sometimes hard pill to swallow, right? Because no matter how much I want to feel that way. I work in industries that de- that always demand that I produce in order for me to be validated, right? Like, right. Mm-hmm. And so, what does that mean? And am I only comfortable like taking the space back now because I feel like I've achieved enough of that that I can like sit sit back a little, right? Like, when I was a new performer, there was a more established person. I- I'm not sure if they want to be named, so I won't. But um, like, who basically like gave me a lot of advice around like like just kind of gently prodded and questioned why I was like posting stuff about like hustling all the time or like you know not sleeping or like working all like they were just kind of like well well, like why are you like you don't have to live that way you know yeah Mm -hmm. and I think at the time I was like kind of like well you know like you're so established and so like it it must be like easy to say or whatever not realizing that obviously like that person was all had been so spent out and had Mm -hmm. been they've already done it yeah yeah and like in order to to maintain like whatever would have to keep doing that and, and sort of opted not to. Um, yeah. And so sometimes, yeah, I think I'd have just such a different mentality about it and recognize that that's working okay. that much harder won't make me, won't make things any better, you know? Right. I don't know. And then I, that's okay. Yeah. Right? That change is okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay to not, I think it's like the, we live in late capitalism, right? Like we, we want to rise to the top and be the best. Yes. But, like, why do we have to be the best, you know? Totally. Also, like, also sometimes not these wheels are just circling. Also, like, the mm-hmm. best is, like, so in your brain. Like, we're literally on, like, a mouse wheel constantly. Like, it's, at what point do we realize that, like, even the peaks of this industry or this career is, like, not going to, like, probably give us exactly what we're looking for? Yeah, you, like know? you get because there and then you're not like, not actually oh. what we're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and also, it's there's no money. Like, there's none. So, like, we're just, like, until you're, like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't fucking do this anymore. Get me off this fucking wheel. And then you take a look at it, and you're, like, oh, everybody is in the same boat. Everybody is not making money. Everybody is not doing this. Like, it's just, like, an ongoing wheel that we seem to, like, lie to ourselves about while we're on. Yeah. So. Because we have to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have to turn without the running. stay on that, right? And because maybe, like, I mean, like, let's be a little, a little bit more hopeful, I guess. Yeah, like, sure. We love the work. Like, right. Like, there's reasons we started, and there's probably reasons we maintain it beyond, like, you know, an ego stroking or whatever. Like, there are things I like about burlesque or performance in general that are not about other people seeing, you know, like, like sort of acknowledging that I've done something that's accomplished. Right. Like, like there are lots of parts of it. Like I, I physically like doing the work. Like I like being in, in that kind of performance space. Right. I like building acts. Like I like working with people. Mm-hmm. I like like the sort of excessiveness. I like thinking about costuming. I like like I like the kind of like the sort of like political um, importance of the art form and the way that, that it kind of like um, the spaces that it creates. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I think all of that is really productive and important, but not necessarily about me being, like... The best. The best. The most recognized. Yeah, yeah. the top. The, you know, like, in burlesque... Uh, not everybody wants this, of course, because depending on your career, it could be, like, totally the wrong fit, but mm-hmm. a sort of, like, a, a really, like, you know, 
high sort of prize that everyone sort of acknowledges is this title. I think they changed the one it's formally called now. It used to be called Miss Exotic World, but it's the Burlesque Hall of Fame like queen category. Mm -hmm. um, they now have like a king category. They're now just starting to sort of open it up to sort of different people with different like um, sort of like uh, gender identities. Yeah, gender identities. Yeah. Like, so, which is, which is great, mm -hmm. very new, but whatever. But like the idea that like, like that we're supposed to look for, like, you know, like that's like the ultimate, like you did it in burlesque. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, it's an unpaid title yeah. <laughs> and you don't get, and you don't get like a tour out of it. You don't get anything else. Yeah. Like, it's like, you can just say you've gotten there. And often by the time people have gotten there, their career is already at the thing that you would think that that would do for you. Right. Like it's like, they're usually already a headliner. Yeah. Um, they're usually already, you know, very well established. They're usually already like making a fair amount of money at the craft or if they're mm -hmm. not like they have something else going on. Like, yeah, it usually doesn't like it maybe guarantees like a year of touring if producers contact you because you're the, the current winner. And then from there, it's like you got into the do top. Now what? Yeah. 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 Like unless you have a plan. Right. Yikes. So, when was the shift into academia for you? Uh, oh, sorry, I was going to Sorry. <laughs> um, the shift into academia came, it came up, which is interesting. It came right around the time that I, I pivoted. I pivoted. <laughs> I, I, a different one this time. Um, I sort of switched into burlesque from theater. Mm -hmm. So that was like, things like 2015, 2016, I was doing a master's degree. I, that was the first year, uh, or no. For, I think that was the first year I properly performed burlesque and I was like coming out and taking classes the year prior. Um, and then going into my PhD and I was like obsessed with the art form at the time because it's so sits at like the intersections of so many things I really love. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like I love like high kind of femininity. I love like, like I love like, I don't know, like big hair and like, like, I, like I love corsetry. I love like, like all these like kind of old sort of vintage styles but I also really like like performance art and like sort of like um was always really interested in like radical body art and, and like some some kind of like uh I guess dance theater or and physical theater were things that I was really like interested in at my time at York mm -hmm. and I was doing a lot of one woman shows at the time so I was used to being alone on stage and like sort of controlling everything right mm -hmm. and design and direction and all that so like it was such a good fit for me um and also yeah like like a really cool art form that's so connected to like sort of like um you know like uh underrepresented people in a way that I thought was important that you could do it exactly the way you wanted to mm, right um I wonder if it like shares that that characteristic with drag totally yeah mm -hmm. they they um they kind of co-inform each other yeah totally like the hyper feminine mm -hmm. the like exaggeration of costumes and hair and yeah and, yeah and like creating a character and creating one that's like of your own like you know that you're totally. responsible for creatively in every way yes for sure mm -hmm. um there there are different they have different lineages but there, there's always been overlap mm -hmm. in a way that i think is really really like fascinating mm -hmm. um so yeah all of that was was happening and then because i was so obsessed with it i was like i'm obviously going to write about it for, for just a <laughs> like i i, I have been uh approached by some professors at the University of Toronto where I was doing my master's about thinking about a PhD. Like, I think I had said something once and they kind of hooked into it. And mm -hmm. I decided to start um, in part because I had a friend who was doing a doctorate at the time. Um, he wasn't doing a great job of it because he was barely, he, he was almost completely had abandoned his writing and, you know, um, <laughs> wasn't really publishing, like really was just kind of bought out, but was just kind of riding through his funding package while he was working as an artist and doing all these other, mm -hmm. and, you know, got to get a trip 
to work with like a very established, like super interesting theater company in Europe and a bunch of other stuff. So it was like, I think at the time in my youth and ignorance, I was like, that's sick. Like, <laughs> and then, you know, and I figured like, well, if I become, I have such a different mentality about this now, especially with the kind of research I do now. But like the time I was like, if I become a quote unquote expert in this, that will like help me with like this burlesque thing I actually want to do. And then maybe I can carve out some sort of path. Right. That I don't know of yet. Right. But maybe. Um, yeah. But like maybe, maybe like there's some sort of. There's something here. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. you know financially supportive thing I can build for myself if I like marry these things mm -hmm. um, because it'll be like a, a sort of quote unquote like leg up over other people who don't have that kind of background or uh, understanding or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, then there, yeah, there's lots of definitely like cultural conditioning and reasons why I thought that that would, that would work that way at the time. Um, I think very differently about it now, like for sure. But what I like about it is that like I, I think I think like completely differently now. Like it's such a, it's such an interesting brain exercise doing that kind of like really intense research and rigorous mm -hmm. reading and like yeah. working with people all the time and questioning your assumptions. And I was lucky enough to take courses with um, really interesting professors who also like, like helped really like, you know, establish kind of like my, my political and cultural awareness in a way that I, that I needed. Um, and that my project was like sort of, you know, necessitated. Um, and so now I think differently in a fundamentally important way that I think would make me a better and more responsible, like performer and cultural producer. Mm -hmm. So that's like the main thing I think that's valuable about mm -hmm. it. But it's also not something I think about. Yeah, like I think so differently about the way I position myself now. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There's also this like opinion outside of academia that like artists that are inside academia mm -hmm. often can like you can like academia can ruin art yep because you get so caught in the logistics mm -hmm. and the theory they can also like take away from the unpredictable moments and interesting moments that happen when you're actually creating without the theory behind it mm -hmm. so how do you deal with how do you grapple with that in creating and writing about it interesting a lot of things kind of bloom for me for that question Mm -hmm. So, um, let me think. Okay, so part of it is like I definitely like I definitely think I I can, I have now I always had, but now in a different way. I have a tendency to sort of critically overthink, and that can that can be limiting occasionally. Mm -hmm. What it also means is that I can make things that are a lot more responsible and nuanced. Right, right. So it's about that. It's about sort of um, navigating those two pressures. But I also think. What's really lucky kind of about the, the dissertation that I'm writing or the the um, exposure that I've had, particularly as a person who's done like, um, yeah, like performance studies and some dance studies mm -hmm. um, and also and some like sort of anthropology, ethnography stuff, not really <laughs> like exactly my thing, but mm -hmm. but definitely methods that I draw from um, is that you acknowledge that like there are kinds of knowledges that don't that are not theoretical and not based on like language and the kinds of the kinds of things the academy typically supports, like mm -hmm. not about like argumentation or anything like that. It's right. about embodiment and the way you're an affect and the way that you, you know, your body and, and sort of emotions respond to things are valuable knowledge mm -hmm. that you can move through. Mm -hmm. And so instinct becomes a really interesting like um, right. area in that regard because it's like you, you learn to still think of it as important. 
And you learn to also like acknowledge that maybe you like your logic brain can't think through something right away, but like that, that that information is probably telling you something that like some part of you knows better than your brain does. Right. Or like your, you know, that kind of active brain does. And when I was, yeah, when I was at York and as, as an artist, that was always what I was kind of going to really quickly. Like mm -hmm. I would, if I was in like a, like a collective creation or something, sometimes I would be like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if this choice will work or I think this other thing will work. And I, and I wouldn't know why. Right. Until we did it. Right. And like, I try to still value that part of myself and in, and in the artists I work with. Like if they, part of my job is helping them articulate things, but also recognizing when I can't. Right. Um, and sometimes that means I can't for myself. I don't think art can always be articulated in the exact way that you want it to be, though. Yeah. And if it could, then I don't think it would have the same, like, mystique or the energy that is drawing to people. Mm -hmm. Right? If we could just, like, articulate and talk about exactly what we felt, then would it be as, like, drawing? Yeah, no. Like, I mean, yeah, emotion. The kind of work I like is usually, like, very affective. Mm -hmm. Like, it's things that, that make you respond or feel, right? So, like... And that's okay if we can't really quantify that. Like, mm -hmm. part of what I really like about performance studies is, like, instead of, like, always trying to describe, like, a thick description. I mean, thick description is important in, in ethnography, too. But, like, instead of trying to describe, like, you know, sort of, like, very clerically, like, sort of what happened mm -hmm. or clinically what happened, um, you can sometimes try to, to speak through a metaphor and give, like, a, like it, it can still be a poetic way totally. of thinking about how something made you feel. There's a really beautiful piece about... about dance criticism that's about that right mm -hmm. it's like sometimes the best thing you can do is is to use a metaphor for what it did to you and like allow and understand that there's like holes and gaps in that and that's okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so those are things i i try to do and then when i when i do do academic work like one of the methods i like using a lot is something called grounded theory which is mm -hmm. basically like instead of which i'm only really learning about meaningfully in the last like year or so but the idea is instead of like taking a theoretical model and like hyper, you know, sort of like slapping it on top of an arts work and being like, look, this arts work proves this theoretical model. Right. You look at the piece itself and everything you write or think about comes from the piece and the context the piece gives you and the artist gives you. Mm -hmm. So it so it emerges out. You're mm -hmm. not like pretending to be Applying an expert something. who pushes it on top. Yeah. Right. So like I hope that those things. I mean, I don't know, like I think it would take me longer to put something out now than it would before. Um, because there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with it. I think, I mean, there are, there, there, I also think sometimes there's like a, I will accept that there are still like, like problems with something that I'm doing. Like I will accept that, like, for example, in burlesque, like, like something like a panel skirt has like a very specific kind of like colonial origin point mm -hmm. um so do so do a lot of other things so there's like literally like any kind of feather in performance like it's mm -hmm. all you know I accept that I still use them because I think like because I, I'm thinking about the way that that signifier works now mm -hmm. um and because I think this history is like super super complex between like you know um burlesque and early iterations of what would later be called like belly dance in the mm -hmm. west or something you know but um but I think about like other, you know, the ways that this like object holds like so many different kinds of meaning that it's like sort of developed over time. Um, and so I still, I still use them. Like I still wear them. Right. I think I still wear like lots of things that, you know, like, I mean, I would never wear something that's like, that has cultural significance. Right. Right. Um, 
And I think about that really deeply and I think about what it means to like do particular kinds of performances. But uh, yeah, like it's like, or I'll, or I'll think about the way that like, you know, I'll overthink basically the way that a piece could impact most people. I was going to say, like, I feel yeah. like 80%, yeah. I would say to closer to 99% of your audience wouldn't have any idea about that. Yeah. And, but know? sometimes it's about being more responsible than your audience. Of course. Yes. Like, um, you can't, you also can't assume your audience doesn't know. Yeah. Right. You have to assume that they're smart. Right. Yeah. yeah. And even assume that like, because sometimes those like people are might be marginalized in your audience for a reason. Like there might there might be a reason why certain kinds of people aren't there as often. Right. Um. You know, like they're especially in space like of Toronto. An example I can think of right away is like yeah, like finances. So who can afford to come out? And also like mm -hmm. sort of like ability. Right. Like lots of the um, venues in Toronto are not wheelchair accessible. Yeah. Or you know we can't afford certain kinds of like like accommodations like ASL interpretation or or whatever. Right. So it's like. So those people may, may literally not be in the space mm -hmm. or could be and like have, you know, not be able to, to view it in the way that like other pieces are intended to be. Right. And you kind of still need to like it, it you like, you know, that doesn't mean that just because they're not there that you can do something that could be perceived as deeply offensive to a person who, who, who is disabled. Like mm -hmm. you like you're, you're still responsible, even if the person isn't in the room mm -hmm. or yes. may never see it, you know. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, like it's like, yeah, I think that there's just tons to contend with. And I think it's productive to think them through and like have open discussions uh, rather than just sort of like, um, you know, oh, if something comes up, like axing out every creative responsibility, because sometimes the discomfort is where interesting work happens, right? Or is produced. Totally. Discomfort isn't like a huge thing that burlesque really capitalizes on a lot, but like, <laughs> um, but it's there for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you mean like discomfort? Like, uh, the, typically the goal of a burlesque performance, unless it's like maybe like a gore-lesque or like a horror, like a very specific neo-burlesque act, is not to provoke discomfort in the audience, right? right. Like, people come out typically for a different, mm -hmm. it's a lot yeah. more of a, like a, either like super sensual or like, or kind of like a satirical maybe. Comedy. Or, yeah, or comedy. Like, yeah. there's more of a lighthearted thing often, mm -hmm. but not always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um... So yeah, like understanding also like what your audience is looking for too, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Because burlesque is such a solo art, how do you have those tough conversations or like those like open discussions about topics such as like ableism in the forum or something like that? Or something, yeah, ableism or appropriation is a big one yeah. or um, an important discourse right now. Or um, just literally racism and casting. Like there's so, there's so many things. Okay, so lots of places. Like, I mean, burlesque is like, it's like a really large, you know, sort of international community. Lots of that discourse happens on different kinds of social media. Mm -hmm. um, there's a conference in uh, Seattle called BurleyCon that happens once a year, or like conference convention, because it's like practical workshops mm -hmm. um, that happens in Seattle once a year. And now they, they have online editions a couple other times a year. So like there are classes and round tables and sort of like discussions and working groups there. Mm -hmm. um, and people just make connections and talk. Uh, in terms of my work, like as an artist, I have a couple different practices, so I, I kind of vet them myself. If I have a question about literally anything, I tend to ask. If I can afford to, I book a consultation with someone. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's if it's a question about like cultural sensitivity or something like that, I book someone from that community to do that with me. Mm -hmm. um, and that means also like you know really meaningfully thinking about their advice and figuring out how to incorporate things. Um, 
in a way that like works for the piece. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes means that my vision has to change and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's also a skill I kind of learned through like I'm learning and applying in my academic work. I'm still obviously in process with it. Um, I also, yeah, and I, in general, I always book workshops for my pieces. And so I try to like never have it only have been me who sees it before it goes up. Right. A good thing about burlesque too, that I think is different than like, um, like certainly, whoops, certainly, sorry, I just <laughs> sat on the cord. Um, certainly theater. And I think also the way most like sort of contemporary dance works, or I'm not sure, is like you build a piece, yes, and it should be, you know, ready for your first performance. But like, because we're on a freelance basis and we're doing them all the time as like one-offs here and there, we're also like usually constantly tweaking, altering, upgrading yes. them. Constantly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nothing so, is ever really finished. Exactly. Which I mean is, is tedious and annoying, but also great because it's like you're in process with your act. So like there is always space to change and improve things and take people's uh, reactions into consideration. Mm -hmm. And in burlesque, I think in fact, audience reaction is like, is like, you know, important. One of the most important things you're looking for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you think something is going to like absolutely kill it, and then you do it on stage and you get like no reaction. You're like, <laughs> maybe that's not, or you get a bad reaction. Like sometimes people will get offended or people will get, or people just will be like bored or, or like, like right. there's so many things that could come of it. And sometimes some shit that you thought was like not even remotely meaningful in your piece or like was not going to hit or do anything, like gets like uproarious applause. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> I should emphasize that moment more. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I'd given myself this gift that is now right. in the piece. It's all trial and error. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like, I don't know, my, I have a friend in New York, I'm writing um, a dissertation chapter about her, her name is Calamity Chang. Uh, the Asian sexation is like her tagline. And mm -hmm. she has an act as like a giant like sushi hand roll. Mm -hmm. um, and she said when she in our in one of our follow up interviews, she said that when she does that number, she never so it's like it's literally like it literally looks like one and it's stuffed with like these big like vegetable and fish props or whatever and mm -hmm. has like a big boa that's like made of like what looks like rice granules love this so it's a really cool it goes from like i'm literally food to like i'm a i'm a sexy burlesque dancer it's great <laughs> she said she never anticipated that the audience would freak out so much when she pulls out this like plushy shrimp that's like behind her head <laughs> in the thing it's the first thing that comes out of the role and probably because it's the first it's like right it, it's amazing because people are like oh they're removable wow like yes. you know but then because of that, because people like lost their shit, she was like, okay. And then altered her choreo to really like hold it up for a long time. Like sort of like praise it, like make it like a big centerpiece mm -hmm. because it got such a great reaction. Mm -hmm. Right. What's awesome about burlesque is like, that's always been a part of our history. Like even like the movement, like the sort of bump and grind movement repertoire, if we have one, that's what it is. <laughs> bump and grind. Um, yeah, bump and grind, literally. <laughs> it literally is. It's literally bumping and grinding your pelvis and your sort of upper torso. Mm -hmm. um, was popularized in uh, Las Vegas, I guess, in like the 50s and 60s, but comes from earlier sort of striptease um, movement vocabularies, I guess. Cool. Um, which are also, which are really interesting because they're also super connected to sort of like racialized dance forms. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really fascinating. Um, I write about it a little bit in my work. Um, all those movements, like the reason that they became popular and became standardized was because like people would do them and people in the audience would freak out when they did them and then people would keep them. Mm -hmm. Yes. So like, yeah, audience reception is a huge part of what we do and it grows and develops with you, right. which is really exciting. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's like my main way of moving through the challenges of overthinking is trying to be really present, mm -hmm. which is really hard. Super hard. Yeah. Yeah, we're not encouraged to. Even though we kind of are, 
We're encouraged to do everything all at once, and it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> that's not being, by the way, that's not being present. Oh, sorry? <laughs> by the way, doing everything at once is not being present. Yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> like, not at all. But, like, you're somehow supposed to be able to, like, be totally there in performance. Right. And immediately go into, like, you know, sending an email and responding personally to someone and doing something else and staying up for a drink with the right person <laughs> and, you know, like... Uh-huh. like organizing an interview or like, or whatever, facilitating a dialogue and planning like a big act that you're going to do for next year so that you can keep this whole train running. Like uh-huh. it's impossible. I don't know how people, I don't know how it's maintained for so long. I don't like it is. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought like pre pandemic was like, just thinking about that, like keeping the wheel turning was like what you had to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And then like, as we've already talked about and we've talked about a thousand times, like having that moment of pause of being like, oh, does it actually make me happy? Is this actually something that I want? Mm-hmm. Super important mm-hmm. post-pandemic yeah. of not falling back into those traps of what this is what I want. Is it maybe? Right. And also not trying to like get caught up with your past from the year. Like try not oh, to. yeah. You know, like the year off? You mean? Yes. Yeah. You know, get like we can't up. be in a rush to get to the place where we got oh, taken from is. us. Right. It's weird. To me, it's like that. it's so gone now. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's not. And you, and yeah, again, like having a little bit of space to look and see the scramble for people trying to like rebuild something that sort of approximates what was there before. It's just like, I think we all feel differently, even if the structures we could make happen again. Yeah. Yeah. So many of my friends are in a place where they're, I guess it's like there's two schools of thoughts. So many of my friends are, what I was going to say, are in a place where like they just feel so differently about their work now, about that, about their, like about them, about like how they're engaging with it, about like if they can even do it in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have, yeah. And then I guess I have some people who just immediately went back into it or found the joy in it. But then there's also folks who are like still, and I'm sure this is in every art field, like still deeply dissatisfied with like not what they feel like what was taken from them mm-hmm. or where they want to go or like where their career is going to be or like how to like, you know, how to ascend to kind of like a certain level. Like mm-hmm. I've had this conversation with like multiple people at this point. Um, but it's, I don't know. I also think that you can be a little bit of all those things. Oh yeah, which is the really actually you're right. Yeah, it's <laughs> the really hard and confusing part. Mm-hmm. And like speaking for myself, mm-hmm. like I feel very much like I lost a lot. I yeah. lost a lot of momentum. But then I'm also like, do I want to be in the place that I was before this happened? And then I'm like, oh, but I'll take anything that comes my way. Right. You know. And so it's like playing with these dualities, or like letting myself feel how upset I am, or like really examining what I want, and then figuring out how to do that rather than just like floating through it all. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have, I should make more space for the fact that we can feel like multiple things at once <laughs> and be kind of trying to dance through them and not really know what to do. Like I, it really reminds me of almost like, you know, the process of like, if, if either of you have, I feel like a lot, lots of people in, here in the arts and arts sort of era have, like if you've gone through a sort of like therapy process mm-hmm. and then you see yourself like, hit the trigger point again or like the thing that like you're I find in my experience it's like I'm oscillating between like the sort of the intel I have now where it's like okay I know how this goes I know whatever yeah the desire I still have for whatever it might be or like you know or for the 
past they might evoke mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and then the like decision of like how to move forward. Yeah. Like, like I might still take something on and then be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Right. Like I, yeah, I don't want to be like, I'm in a of course. new place now where I'm being super <laughs> responsible. Cause like I just said, I took on way too much work this month. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah. Right. That's how quickly it happens. You know? <laughs> totally. Cause yeah. it feels good at the time when people like want to work with you or like, oh, we, we want you. You're yeah. like, yeah, validation mm-hmm. in the thing that I do that I, or have dedicated my entire life to and don't know how to change. Yeah, why, yeah. Why do we feel like we need it so much, right? We, we mm-hmm. need someone to say that they want us to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. And it sucks. And I do wonder, like, this is something I wonder often for people that are not in the arts. Do they get that, like, kind of collective group? Uh, how do I want to say that? How do they get that, like, valid? How do they get validation like that? Or do they not? And they're okay with it. Like, do some people not need it as much as us? Yeah, like... <laughs> That's my main question. (laughs) Yeah. I think some don't. Right. Or do they get it in like, how do they get it? Is it like in work? Is it in family? Is it in hobbies? You know what I mean? Like, where is this like, I am valued and I am part of this community and I am this thing? It probably depends on the person. I don't think some people need it. Maybe. Or need it as much. Yeah. I think that we're all, I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. We're all in the performing arts for a reason because we have these like sense of like something's missing. Yeah. What? Yeah. Like from our reality, you mean? Our reality from our validation, from like we're wanting more, we're trying to get something. That's why we're all in the performing arts, right? Mm. I would. I don't. Want, I don't want to say that like outright because I don't believe that for myself. Mm, okay, but we all are like in performing arts because like we like people looking at us. But you like performing or creating. Or the, the no, I'm speaking about performing arts, so the performing aspect of it. Right, right. So we're all like looking for validation in some form by performing. That's why we all like were sold on it when we were kids, right? Like everybody's looking at us. This is amazing. <laughs> it's kind of like why they say like often comedians have like sad pasts, right? They're trying to make everybody laugh. So we all are, are as performers, we're all kind of looking for something that's missing, right? Like for the thing that space affords. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, I. it's that. I think it's also like the, the thing, that, a way that I interpreted what you were saying where it's like, you know, something that's also missing maybe from your reality. Like there's like a sense of like, a, there's ways you can move that like there's nowhere else you could do that, you know? Yes. Like there's like, the, yeah, yeah, like yeah. There's, it's a very specific space for like, yeah, like I, I can't actually like drop to the floor in my daily life and like, <laughs> and you know, and like, like dance in that way. Like I almost want to sometimes if I'm out at like, a club or something but it would be like too much and it's not invited in the space yeah i'm safe probably yeah deeply unsafe probably or or whatever else but yeah i definitely think i think in burlesque especially that's such a it's a question i think sometimes it can be very pejorative the way people like manipulate it but it's like you know mm-hmm. we're literally in an art form where sort of it, it, it can have like an anything goes sentiment mm-hmm you don't need to professionalize whatever that means, quote unquote, before entering the form. So you can start at any time in your life, yeah. no matter your background. Mm. Um, it's literally about like, look at me, look at my body, <laughs> my sparkly body, like, you know? And so like, and validate, like, you know, like the, the, the conventions of the, for the audience are to clap and holler yeah, and make everyone feel like a million bucks. And so like, it definitely draws particular kinds of personalities. Mm-hmm. 
that I think then emphasize all these problems I was talking about before. Like, and I'm included in that personality. Yeah. But, you know, like the idea that we want, like, yeah, like endless applause, validation, to be celebrated, to Mm -hmm. be loved, you know? Or even if the art form, like maybe you're doing like a really radical, like neo piece and you're like a cool monster. Like it's not sexy at all. It's like kind of creepy and unnerving. You're still it's still validating because you're still looking for people to celebrate that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're still looking for that reaction, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's all very sensory. Yeah. Yeah, so it makes it complicated because I think a lot of people come into burlesque like, you know, because it affords them a creative opportunity they couldn't get elsewhere. And for right. some people that's tied to like feelings of like uh, shame or failure or whatever, like, I had a friend who said, I actually disagree with what they said, but they said something like, you know, oh, we're all here because we failed at whatever other performing art we actually wanted to do. Which I deeply, like, I, I have, like, lots of problems with. Yeah. Um, it's so, so, were they so dismissive. Were they speaking specifically about burlesque or any? Burlesque. Oh, okay. Now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all here because we failed something. Yeah, I guess it's like, oh, like, you know, you could, that, that age-old thing that a lot of people say, it's like, oh, you couldn't make it as a dancer or an actor, or you right. couldn't, like, you know, make it in these dominant systems. So what we also know are, like, sizes, racist, ages, classes. Like, there's lots of reasons, mm-hmm. you know, like... Beyond yeah, your control. Yeah, that, yeah. That, like, there are there are tons of reasons why you maybe not, you couldn't have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the point of burlesque is that you can express, especially your sexuality, any way that you see fit on your own terms. Right. And that's, like... Especially, I think in the last few years, it's gotten a lot better, I think, in, in sort of more mainstream art forms. But, like, prior, it was like, yeah, if you don't fit, like, these kinds of boxes, like, there is no sexualized role for you here. Yeah. You can't be that person. You can't be conceived of as being that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, like, a really unproductive reading. Also, maybe you, like, literally just want to work in this form because because of physically the way it works, like, the... Mm-hmm. the creative opportunities you get like the way the kinds of ways that you get booked in these spaces so I don't know I disagree with that but I think that there's maybe something to it that a lot of us feel like misfits and that's how we got here mm-hmm. maybe deep down yeah like an old ideology put on to our parents from yeah. kind of moved through or every single movie premise yeah like we internalize arts. these things yes <laughs> totally Oy. on nice. that note we do have to ask you a question okay oh. Um, can I ask one more question first? Okay. I wanted to know, um, cause you just like talked about like being able to express sexuality and mm-hmm. like exactly the way in your terms, like how has that manifested for you? Has it been like freeing? Has it been like, there's been stigma on it? Interesting. Um, okay. So it's, it's been, it's been really freeing. I don't, some people have like a very specific burlesque character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have acts where I'm a very specific character, but I think overall, like, my persona is just me. Yeah. Just, like, a little bit more confident and, like, allowing myself to be more, like, big and open-ended and whatever, you know, sort of excessive in a way that I like because, like, I think that stuff's fun anyway. Yeah. Um, I recently did (laughs) an interview with, like, a a Portuguese language television show, (laughs) uh, which is coming out. I don't know when it's coming out. It's supposed to be out next month, I think. Um... And I was really scared to do that interview. Like, I was approached by someone who was, like, a restaurant owner mm-hmm. who knew my family. Um, I come from a very... My parents are amazing and have tried to be, like, really progressive. But, like, you know, were very Catholic and came from a world that was incredibly conservative. Yes. Like, yeah. deeply conservative. Um, aggressively. Like, like 
it, it was an incredibly judgmental and insular. So it's like there was no way to exist in that community and be like a sort of like um, sexually forward, specifically like yeah, woman or or you know you know anything other than a kind of like cis straight man. Um, and so I was really scared to like have to come out that yeah. way. Um, but also it ended up being like a really liberatory experience mm. because I now have the tools to explain what I do. Um, and I care a little bit less and I ended up reconnecting and I ended up coming back and realizing that a lot of people had changed and that there were people who would support me in that. But it, 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 it almost felt like me reconciled, like staring into like, my child self into the face and saying like, it all ended up being okay. Right. Um, because it was something that was like incredibly stigmatized when I was a kid and I was always afraid to explore and couldn't do until I really kind of like went out on my own right. as an adult. But yeah, you internalize these things anyway, right? Like I'm not, I'm never going to be over it. Right. But I think I have a, a much better relationship with it after like a lot of time figuring out how to like move in this way and what that means for me. Amazing. Is being an artist fucking killing you? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) My response is it doesn't have to. I don't think. But it's really easy for it to. Yeah. Um, And so it's just, I guess it's, yeah, figuring out a way to do it where, like, you're challenged but not dying, I guess. (laughs) Whatever that means. You don't let it, like, get away from you. Yeah. The rat race. Yeah, you look at it for where it has meaning and what makes you, why you liked it in the first place. And like, yeah, interesting, I guess, sort of full circle. It's like you find that kind of inner childhood sense of play and what is exciting. Yeah. And you chase that. I, I think that you've said this before, right? It's like the best part about being an artist, right? Is you get that moment or you get to like constantly play. Mm-hmm. and rediscover what about it excites you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah right yeah like it's especially for something like burlesque but for all of it it's like if you find joy in it that's great the mm-hmm. world gives us a few places for that mm-hmm. so true yeah awesome thank you thank so you. much thank you forsa where do people find you if they're interested in you um so i'm pretty active on instagram my instagram is uh at forsa f-o-r-c-a dot nature n-a-t-u-r-e part of that is so it helps people learn how to pronounce it <laughs> that's not my full stage name my twitter is the same although i don't post there a lot it's force of nature no dot in the middle um i also have a website called forceofburlesque.com where i post mm-hmm. like there's images and videos of my work and when i'm performing next mm-hmm. um yeah those are the main places to find out about that stuff Awesome. Amazing. Yay. Thank you so much. If you have any questions, if you want to contact us, if you want to contact Forza, let us know. Send us a DM. Hit us up on Patreon, Facebook, anywhere you can possibly think of. We're probably there. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.